The film industry makes up a major part of our lives, so much so that we even have a whole section devoted to it here on The Cashflow Show. But what about the people behind the camera? The business people that get films made, get films on screen, that book cinemas and help promote the black British film industry. Well, today's guest is Marlon Palmer of Cush Cinema, who has a long and decorated history in the UK film and cinema industry. If you'd like to know more about Marlon's pioneering work, then join us after the introduction. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Coke, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film and a favourite single or album and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at the Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. The Cashflow Show, coming to you from the city of London, real people, real business, real talk. Hello Marlon and welcome to the Cashflow Show. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. So Marlon, please tell us a little bit about your business and about yourself. My company is called Kush Films. Originally, it was called the Kush Promotions back in the day when I first started in 1998. We've just recently celebrated 25 years of being in the business um, last week. I basically started off as a pioneer film exhibitor. So I'm sort of a missing link within the film industry in terms of I'm not a director, I'm not a producer, I'm not a writer, especially coming from a African Caribbean or black British perspective. I'm a film exhibitor. A lot of people, you know, when you say film exhibitor, a lot of people don't even know what, you know, what a film exhibitor is. And, and what is that? Because as I said, everybody, people say, filming exhibitor, what's that? They don't understand what that's about. Cinemas are, are exhibitors. You know, most cinemas are exhibitors. And it's basically a, a, an exhibitor is someone or an organization business that puts, displays, you know, films on the big screen and does all the stuff that is needed around that in terms of marketing, PR, um, the organization, event management, and all that sort of stuff. So basically, I I started off, you know, I sort of came from a background of promotions anyway, of sort of marketing, more promotions, keeping parties and raves, basically, back <laughs> in the day as a young man, and had a knack for bringing people together. I then grew to sort of move over into the film business by accident, almost like a a chance thing that happened and it was the universe that, that sort of uh, blessed me and, and gave me something different to do, leaving the sort of rave scene, party scene where things had got to a sort of point where it, it, it was, you know, it was downhill from there basically and, and uh, not all good things were happening. I transcended into the film business because at that time in 1998, I just felt that for me personally, I just felt that we weren't getting opportunity to see certain black films on the big screen. And I had always been into films and used to have, um, used to used to have films you know used to get films on vhs and copy them and sell them to my mates and stuff from way back in the day we used to do that with sort of like martial art film then we started doing it with some of the hollywood films where we used to get them back in the day the real terrible copies you know really bad copies and but people were eager to see the, the new release films and kind of always been into film and had a passion for film from a very young age actually at that stage of, of my life later on when i transcended from doing parties and raves and that sort of thing and sort of came to the end of the road i felt there wasn't enough you know, opportunities for black filmmakers and for the public to see black films on the big screen. There was a cinema at the bottom of my grandmother's road, which I used to walk past every day. We used to go there as young as young kids to watch late night kung fu films there. So I knew the cinema quite well and used to walk past there every day later on in life. I used to show Bollywood films there. This is the start of, of the sort of Bollywood takeover. One day, I don't know, something, because I, I, I don't even remember the full story of what happened what drove me to walk in there one day and say to the cinema manager that i want to start showing films there I spoke to someone there and i said look um you know i want to speak to the manager i want to start showing films and blah 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 i'd made a few a couple of connects who um there was one girl that was actually doing something similar to to what i want to do she was showing films she was from south london 
and we sort of became friends and sort of um, decided to partner up. And yeah, as I said, I walked into the cinema one day said, saying that I wanted to show films there. And the man said, look, the manager's not there. Maybe come back another day. And he, he sort of shooed me out. Um, I was walking past another day. And then he, he, the same guy ran out and called me. Turns out that turns out that he was the manager. Okay. And, and then he, 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 he basically wanted to know more. Maybe maybe that week was a hard week or something for him. <laughs> he wanted to know what, what kind of films I wanted to show or something. And then he was, you know, he was asking me, what kind of, you know, what films do you want to show? You want to show dirty movies? <laughs> you know, things like that. And I say, no, no, no. I want to show black films and support black filmmakers and, you know, support support my culture. We sort of became friends and I would go over and sit and watch, watch the Bollywood films and stuff and get to know the Bollywood scene. And after a while, he gave me an opportunity. He said, you know, give me a night and it's going to cost me this much. I think it was about 500 quid at the time. And I, I basically, I re, I'll be honest, I, it was all sort of inspiration and just sort of sheer intent. I didn't really have a plan as such, but I normally sort of get things worked out. In, <laughs> Once someone gives me an opportunity, I'm very entrepreneurial like that. Exactly. Again, when I did actually organize the game tonight for night and stuff, I didn't raise the money didn't have the money to to do that i had half the money and basically just hustled it basically just just, just stalled him and stalled him until people came in and paid i i had faith that people were going to pay at the door i got the rest of the devil half of the money at the door and paid him you know before we started sort of thing and that was the that was the launch of um, the kush film club ah the kush film club back in 1998 and everything started with the kush film club and basically it was a film club to showcase the best of black films and also support local black businesses black business owners showcase short films made by independent local independent filmmakers so we would show a short film before the main feature but as i had sort of come from a sort of a promotional sort of background i sort of realized immediately that if i was going to show sort of like unknown films by unknown filmmakers as we kind of do now which is totally different but in those days people you know weren't going to sort of flock out to come and see films made by filmmakers that they never heard of or or films they, they they didn't know sort of thing the idea i came up with the idea of basically going to film distributors and trying to get the films early and trying to get the films as premieres or or exclusive screenings before the film gets released in cinemas and i was kind of successful at that basically and mainly through the contact that i had made for this girl that i mentioned before she had a couple of um, contacts with some film distributors so my second film that i ever screened was a real success. The rapper Ice Cube's directional debut, his first film that he directed, a film called The Players Club. We managed to, to, to there's a big sort of, yeah, there's a lot of people wanting to see that film. So we managed to fill out the cinema, the Curzon Cinema in Turnpike Lane in North London, just by the bottom of Wood Green there. And um, we had 500 people coming to a rat-infested cinema. Oh, God. One of them old grotty cinemas. It's, you know, it's in the, in the hood, as they would say, or it's in the, you know, it's local. It's not, it's not a West End cinema in them, them days. And I actually did. I'm, I'm sure I've seen, I saw rats run around in there once or twice, basically. <laughs> Obviously, we fixed it up the best that we could have made it look nice on the day and everything like that. And yeah, 500 people sold out, packed out the place. I even got um, some Tottenham Hotspur footballers to come down there. I support Tottenham and I wrote to Tottenham Hotspur and in, and sent invites. Rule Fox, Les, Fer- Les Ferdinand and Clive Wilson came down. Wow, okay. Uh, defender Clive Wilson, they turned up and, then, and yeah, the press, the press loved it. I've still got the pictures, pictures um, to this day in the newspaper cuttings of Les Ferdinand, Sir Les, as they call him now. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, coming to my little, coming to the, coming to watch this film in Turnpike Lane. That was the second screening, so I thought I had made it from there. I thought that was it, and you know, I had made it, and it was really exciting. And um, it, everything just carried on from there, and escalated from there, and who would have thought? Twenty-five years later, I'm still here doing what I'm, I'm doing now. Is it at that point that you realised you can make a viable business from this? Yeah, absolutely. But I, I kind of, um, as I said, I, I'm very sort of um, entrepreneurial, and kind of back in those days was sort of a different, was kind of like a almost, you know, like a street guy. So as we would say, you know, from the black community, you know, I was a hustler. So I was always going to find a way to make it work. 
because that that's all entrepreneurs do. You're just going to find a way to make it work and f- find out what appeals to to people and what are the things you need to offer for people to turn up. And obviously, with film, you know that that's a seller straight away. It's it's a seller. It was just getting the right films, and I think the key thing was getting the films as either exclusive or premieres. And I think that was the key thing. Um, the, the promotion side of it, I knew I could do because I had been doing it for years on the music side. So I knew how to promote. It turned out years later, things that I bought from the party scene, the rave scene, for instance, I start, I know when I started doing, doing films, doing the film screenings, I started to do flyers, my own flyers. Mm-hmm. Where I would, you know, print flyers and promote double sided A5 flyers and have the promotion of the event and then distribute, you know, 20,000 flyers across London. And later on, film companies started approaching me about doing flyers for them, you know, doing the flyers. And I never saw anyone else doing flyers when I first started. It was something that I bought from the party scene, distribute the flyers to, to all the Caribbean restaurants, to all the record shops, to the libraries and, and all different places, stand outside cinemas, have people giving, you know, flyers out, standing outside tube stations, giving flyers out. So I became very sort of noted for, for doing that basically and the promotion side of things was sort of on point again that the promotional side of things and also getting exclusive and new films were were the key points in effect you really have this idea you're walking past the cinema you try to approach this guy he tries to dodge you in the first instance but eventually he sees the error of his ways and basically approaches you again and the relationship is started yeah absolutely. now you're a black guy in a very predominantly white space. Even more so in 1998. Exactly. <laughs> so who are your mentors? Who are the people that you look up to? Who are the people that you maybe whisper in your ear and say, Marlon, you could be doing this. Marlon, you could be doing that. Or basically people that you see maybe on screen or in credits that you think, oh, I'd like to do that as well. Well, now it's different. But in those days, oh, I, I, if you're talking about those days, I, I don't, I don't know. The only thing or power that I ascribe to to what happened to me at that time was whatever you want to call it, the man above, the woman, the woman above, the universe, or the power that be. That's what I have always ascribed it to. It was just for me. It was almost sort of miraculous mm. in a sense. Because again, as I said, I didn't really fully plan it out. It didn't. I didn't have. I didn't know what I was doing. It, it was just pure instinct and, and inspirational. And it just happened, basically. It wasn't a plan. I didn't actually plan it out. I've had ideas going as a younger man throughout all the years. I've, I've kind of always loved film. And as I said, um, I had this thing for film. And then maybe I didn't even realise it fully. It, I built you that uh, it's only maybe over the last few years I've actually sat back and had time to think about things. And remember fully how much I, I sort of was into film that even as a young kid, you know, back in the day, you used to get sort of like all the comic books and the magazines and on the back of it or inside of it, you could order like, um, you know, because you, you'd have like Charles Atlas, become Charles Atlas. And you could order all <laughs> this weight, weightlifting thing or whatever, you know, you have to become a muscle man or whatever. Or you could order um like projectors, little super, you know, super eight. Yes. Super 8 projectors. I ordered one. I had one. I, I do you know something like when I, for many years, people would ask me this question in the, about how did you get started with coaching the film business? And for some reason, I had totally blocked this out of my mind and totally forgotten it about me getting this projector as a kid. I can't remember what, you know, if I was 10, 11 years old or whatever. Mm-hmm. And having this projector and having Lauren Hardy films and Charlie Chaplin films on a little film reel ah. and having it in my bedroom and turning the lights out, having the blanket of me and be turning the thing and projecting it onto a wall and be watching the films. And I totally forgot it. It had totally sort of blocked out my mind, um, basically. I don't know, maybe 10 years ago that I fully remembered this and it, I sort of regressed and sort of remembered it. Wow. Because what people used to ask me, and I just, I just say, I just say it was the man upstairs, yeah. you know, God just gave me something different to do because I was sort of, um, you know, the chat, the lad on the streets doing all the parties and the raves and drinking and, and doing all kinds of other stuff. And, um, I just came, that came to the end of the road. And, um, you know, at that time, I had a lot of friends that were, you know, going to, going, even going to prison or they were, that's when crack cocaine came in. A lot of people started using, using drugs and cracking out. And it was a, wasn't a great time it was in, in the nineties, you know, on the back of, um, acid house scene as well and all that kind of stuff. You know, drugs everywhere. So it, it, it was almost like I, 
I actually went to church. I, you know, when I when I left the streets and stopped doing what I was doing, I actually went to church and uh, for a whole year and got baptized and sort of started again. Mm. And actually, that, that's where the name of my company came from. It came from actually came from a a Bible, right? A, a Bible that my sister gave me. Um, and but this Bible, in the King James version of the Bible, it's called the African Heritage Bible, and it basically sort of just shows you the black perspective of the Bible and the black, and shows you what tribes were black within the Bible and, and the history of, of Africa and all that kind of stuff. So um, this is where I, I sort of got to learn about the new, um, well, I'd sort of heard about the Nubians before, but um, got to learn about the, learning more about the Nubians and the Kush, the Kushites. And basically the, they're the same people, the, the Nubians lived in the land of Kush and they're called the Kushites, which is, which is present day Sudan. Oh, right. Sudan, where they're having a war now. That's the land of the Kushites. And not many people know about the, this ancient civilization, which was a great and mighty civilization, never conquered by anyone, the Kushites. And the Kushites were basically, obviously, at a, you know, part of, it is part of Egypt as well, up what they call Upper Egypt. And the Kushites ruled Egypt for over, you know, for over hundreds of years, hundreds of years. And, um, if you go to the Sudan now, they've got over, you know, they've got over 300 pyramids in the Sudan. Not, not the same size as the Great Pyramids in Egypt, but smaller pyramids, but over 300 pyramids in the Sudan of African black kings and queens. And no one sort of talks about this. No one talks about this, this great empire. So when I learned about this empire, I kind of, at that stage, I, I kind of went to learn more about myself as, as, as a, as a black, as a black man. And, um, my, that's why you know I named my company Kush to kind of remind my my fellow um, black men and women that we were once kings and queens as well. And that's how, how I've always carried myself. And today I launched my company, and I walk my chest high and and and, and my back straight, and uh, as a proud person. And I've taken that into the film industry, where and again it's probably allowed me, you know, in a sense, with my own personality and other things that have happened, to be here still today and not be crushed by the film industry. Indeed. Did you ever see any of the early UK black British films? Um, things like Pressure, Burning an Illusion, etc., etc. Not in those days. Not in those days. No. In those days, we, you know, you you could remember like, for all of us, we we just about hear, heard reggae music on the radio. That's true. You know, we, we just about we more heard it at home. You know, if someone playing it at home on the stereo or whatever for a record. Mm. But um, we really, you know, black culture was really suppressed at that time. It wasn't allowed to to be itself or, or to be heard, uh, apart from within the home itself or around your friend's house or whatever, or, or through our own, you know, raves and dances and parties. No, uh, at that time, I hadn't seen, uh, I don't recollect seeing any of those films. Um, no, none of those films were shown on TV. Uh, none of those films were really... Act in cinemas as such and this is this is the difference that i wanted to make to enable people to give the public access to see these type of films on the big screen in a public setting and also to get to know who the actors were and the filmmakers were and to champion black filmmaking so um yeah at that time no absolutely not and uh, again yeah it, it was more i was more I, I probably you know i more saw like the bruce lee films you know bruce lee films uh, martial art films and things like that that's what i saw yeah we'll come on to that because um that plays a, a significant part in a couple of things that you say yeah did you feel that also that vhs the fact that when vhs became really popular that allowed as a community black people to see films that were literally if you hadn't been able to go to a cinema or you hadn't put on an event nobody would have been able to have seen those films absolutely absolutely very much so very much so and and, and i strongly believe that as well yeah Absolutely. So that, that was, that it, it was for, it was VHS. As I said, you know, to the point that I started, I was selling them, you know, you know, to my mates and stuff. And then I had mates who were doing the same thing as well. So we was, we'd be sharing and getting these films. Um, otherwise we wouldn't have seen them because no distributor was interested here in the UK. You know, there, there was a saying when I started in the film business and there was a saying, and for many years this saying was around and it's to be so infuriating, you know, and the saying was in the industry that black films don't sell. Yeah. And, and and to tell the truth, that saying only got killed fully recently when Black Panther came out. The first Black Panther came out. Correct. That's when that, that's when that saying really got got killed. 
but that saying has been going around in the within the film industry from on the distributor side of things for years and years and years and do you think that we know obviously from within that community that those films sell because even in the west african community as well the situation is when you've got nollywood films people are packing out a to see them or b accessing them online so there is a demand and there always has been a demand and effectively chinese cinema consortium has proved that and the bollywood has proved that and so on and so forth was it really a way of just restricting people from getting access to a different audience yeah i wouldn't say it was restricting people i i would say i mean who knows it could be an enemy of that but i wouldn't i i, I just think it's laziness mm. so it's laziness they just couldn't be bothered to really go and find out it just it was just an assumption and people just went with that assumption without no proof basically or maybe someone did you know got one film put it out there in a half-hearted way didn't know how to reach that target audience and then said oh it flopped it didn't work and a lot of time you know and this is why i became sort of more successful within um the film industry doing what i'm doing because i offered a specialist service where we knew how to target the people yes we come from that community so we knew so then distributors saw an opportunity with that and decided to engage me engage my company going back to the projector did you ever think to yourself i marlon palmer i'm going to make films or did you think to yourself well i'm not going to put myself forward in that particular way because i like working in the distribution street level type of thing what are your feelings about being a filmmaker yourself Filmmaking is not for me. I don't think. I mean, it's something that I'm kind of thinking about now. But in terms of producing, helping, but helping other filmmakers to produce films, especially now with the new platform, it, it, you know, um, yeah, I, I, and maybe because I've got a lot of age as well, so maybe you know, now is a good time to be a producer. But people have been asking me to be a producer for years and years and years, and, help and say, you know, you should be a producer because you know this inside out and blah blah blah. But the work that I'm doing is very vital. Because that's the missing link. Because we can all, you know, especially from speaking from a black perspective, a minority perspective, you know, BME perspective, we can always create stuff. But if we if we're always just creating, but we're not the ones who are actually controlling the distribution of the content, then it's kind of almost like to me defeating the purpose in a sense. Because it's always going to be someone else who's in control of the narrative. It's always going to be someone else who, who's in control of what gets seen and what doesn't get seen. And this is why in the sort of nineties, the films that we really did see were the hip hop gangbanging type films. Mm. You know, we saw more, 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 and this is what people then started to aspire to. Yes, rather than we've seen the positive representation of black culture or black people we started seeing the drugs and the gangs and and you know often the black guy was was the bad guy or, yeah. or whatever and this this was hollywood putting this out so we need people more people to be within the corridors of power you know distribution you know there is the distributors are the powerhouses they are the multi-conglomerate international companies who are controlling everything basically and and putting all the money up to produce all the big sort of hollywood films and it's hollywood that's really controlled the media and the way things are seen within within the global community you know and in a sense you know the way black people have been projected now there is a whole with the me too movement now there's an uprising and there is a whole you know you've got the me too movement and you, you've got lots of different sort of movements about diversity and you know sexism around sexism misogyny and all kinds of different things and different movements against that, that, that those type of things with that in mind we've got the idea of changing the representation and changing the narrative it is the easiest time in the world or easiest time to be able to make a film yourself using two iPhones and uh, a laptop for editing and be able to put that up on youtube or get yourself a distributor of some sort have you seen in your experience especially in the last few years there's been an increase in black filmmakers really taking that do it yourself aesthetic 
and making things happen and making the messages that they want to make. Oh yeah, now it's totally different, especially with the young people, the young people out there. Yeah, they, everyone's making films nowadays, and everyone can make a film. And obviously now as well, a lot of people, it's, people's attention spans are a lot shorter, so <laughs> people are just making short, lots of short films now. You know, not so so you don't need to make a feature film. Just make lots of sh people making short films and you know getting their stories out there. Now it, it's uh, open market. It's it's it's, feel, it's a field there really, but it's whether you can actually then you know move up the ladder and then get that opportunity to go on and make a feature film and get that support and that backing to make a feature film, which is very difficult. You know, but there are guys out there that I know that are independently doing their thing. They're making low budget, you know, decent production, quality production uh, movies, and they're just doing their own thing and not depending on it. Because now you can you can actually even self distribute films yourself. If you weren't willing to learn, or, um, and you make the contacts, you can do that. Yeah, this is you know uh, now these days as a distributor myself, as I said, people can come to me, and I feel very proud that I am, as far as I know, at this present stage, I am the only well, the only black man actually, the only black man who is a film distributor in the UK. I don't know any other black black men or black women who are film full-time film distributors distributing films in the uk can put films into cinemas definitely the game has changed in many ways over the last few years netflix and amazon and the streaming platforms have come and disrupted the whole film industry as well they've also embraced culture more than hollywood has yes in a sense. So Hollywood has, has had to sort of buck up their ideas and, and, and realize, oh, wow, we need to change what we're doing and change our perspective. Then at the sort of same time, you know, again, Marvel came. Marvel, who isn't a traditional film studios, who came, but, you know, even though they, you know, they then teamed up with Disney and Disney distributes all their films now, but they came, you know, they came and they came with Black Panther. Mm. And they had the vision of making it an all black film, an all black cast. And this is a multi-million dollar film, you know, and, and, and that just blew things out of the water. Very much so. So we've talked about Disney, Netflix and all the other big players, but you're going to change all that because we want to talk about Kush Cinema. Yeah, so, right. So, so Kush Cinema, Kush Cinema is my new baby. That is my, <laughs> that's the new thing that, that is um, energising me. As an older gentleman, <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it's this is my this is my new passion, and this is the the transformation again, you know. And as in business, as we know, you're gonna keep tran transforming yourself. You're gonna keep ahead of the curve and keep keep moving forward. Don't, don't get left behind. I refuse to be left behind. Basically, COVID came. We've all been through, you know, a, a terrible last sort of three years. Cinemas all shut down at home twiddling my thumbs thinking you know what, what am I going to do got my bills to pay as well because I do this full time I have done since I have since I started yeah just, just thinking about the future but at the same time you know watching everything was going on I've been watching for quite some time and seeing what Netflix was doing seeing what you know Amazon and other streamers like, like movie and others were, were doing I had a colleague of mine a good friend of mine's who basically owns an international tech so software development company. He builds a lot of streaming sites, VOD sites, video on demand sites for a lot of big film companies at the Cannes Film Festival and other sort of film festivals and marketplaces. And he was always been saying to me, no, I need to get online. Why don't you get, you need to get online and blah, blah, blah. And since 2008, I was thinking about getting online. I almost signed a contract with a, with a company, Brighton. Fortunately, I, I didn't end up signing the contract and they went bust. Ooh. And, you know, I was thinking of building something online in 2008. But in 2008, people, people just weren't ready for it then. Because in, in 2008, people were still scared of putting their, their credit card details online and all the people were going to steal our deals and going to rob us and all kinds of things like that. And, you know, people will be apprehensive. Now you can't get them off, you can't get them off Facebook now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, yeah, it's crazy. I think they laugh sometimes. Say. Basically what happened was, so COVID was at home, COVID, so yeah, stressed out, and, you know, work, lockdown, what's going to happen? Cinemas are all closed. The George Floyd incident happened, and that was just a a real jaw-dropping sort of moment. It was a, a, a boot, a boot up the derriere for me, basically, a big boot. Mm. To say, look, I want to change the game. I want to do something different now. Um, you know, I, I can go into most cinemas in the UK. You know, in all my years with Kush, and didn't, we haven't even got, we didn't even get into all that part, all that, all of that 
bit with Kosh that you know I eventually took black films you know through our film club the Kosh Film Club to you know to Bristol to to Leeds to Birmingham to Luton took it out of London and took it out to the people and I don't think no one's done that before and you know I was basically, was based in Birmingham for a whole year based in Luton for a whole year doing regular film screenings screening wow. new and premier film releases bring it to the people and it was very very popular and we didn't just just show films as well just quickly flip, flipping back to um the kush film club i would mix it up as well i, I would have guest hosts and guests um, put live performances as well so we may have a little comedian come and do so depending on the theme of the film we may have a comedian come and do a little a little introduction and, and and do some jokes at the beginning and stuff blah 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 we'd have a short film as well as, as again you know championing local filmmakers then we have the, the sort of premiere or, or exclusive screen or, or big mainstream film and um sometimes we'd have maybe actors there that, or we may have feet a theme discussion afterwards or whatever so it was always mixed up there was, there was also networking at before the film start so people would arrive at the beginning of the event you know we have music in the bar people can network have a drink and that sort of stuff and then some sometimes also after the film when we finished the film the film people could go back in the bar have a drink and network we was in the west end for over 10 years at some of some of the most prestigious cinemas running the um, Kosh film club wow it, you you really built an ecosystem around that you built a community didn't you Yes, absolutely. And m- mostly women. <laughs> 65% were women, basically, who used to come and support. And then even when we was in the West End, it wasn't just black folks. We had a very diverse audience once we kind of hit the West End. Mm-hmm. And we had very successful screenings. We screened as a film in 2016, was it? 17. A documentary film called I Am Not Your Negro. Story of James Baldwin. James Baldwin's sort of story. Mm-hmm. And I remember we screened that. We was based at based at the Regent Street Cinema at that time, um, yeah, 2016, 2017, if I remember right. Yeah, we screened that film. That film we screened eight times consecutively, basically, just because of the demand. We kept selling out. So we just we screened it. We had to we keep booking. Keep, the cinema said, do you want to show it again? Do you want to show it again? He said, yeah, okay, we do that. And just kept <laughs> rebooking it. And it was a very diverse audience that came out to see it. And a lot of time, you know, especially when we do sort of like black history stuff or documentaries we'd also get a very diverse audience get a lot of white folks that are into black culture want to know about it and you know um it could be, yeah, we've got very good support and so yeah it was in the west end for over 10 years you know screening at the prince charles cinema leicester square regent street cinema just off of oxford street oxford street there regent street and also at Odeon cinema covent garden was there for over a year as well Various other cinemas that we screened in in, the West, in in London. As I said, we took, you know, we went out to to was in, did regular screenings in Bristol at the Watershed Cinema and even local community type venues in in um, Bristol. And again, same thing in 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 Birmingham and and elsewhere. So yeah, so um, we we yeah, I, I've it really like you say built our own sort of ecosystem, and it was quite unique. People, you know, people loved it. And you just, you know, in regards to our discussion, when we're talking, you know, all the stuff we were talking before about, you know, not being able to see certain films and stuff, that was in, we're talking about London, like me, myself and you. Mm. But outside of London, it was even worse. Yes, it was. It was. Absolutely people outside truthful. of London were, were the, the, the black, the, the, you know, black folks in London were, were privileged, <laughs> you know, <laughs> compared to people out in, I don't know, Sheffield or Huddersfield or, uh, you, you know, other little areas, yeah. you know, the Peterboroughs and all these sort of places, it's very difficult for them to see stuff. So when we took it out, it, people were really, really loved it and, and flocked to it and loved the vibe and the whole mixture, you know, of of, of entertainment that, that we were giving them. So, yeah. So then spinning right back now. So um, this now, coming back up to Kush Cinema quickly. Yes. When, so basically, you know, the George Floyd incident happened and... The inspiration for me, you know, leading back to everything what with what I've just said was that it was about, you know, when I personally saw this black man in the street, just to me it's like almost like cannon fodder. It's like no respect for that life at all. I just felt for me that I had to step up my game and represent. And one of the key things for me was ownership. Mm. You know, ownership, owning something that I as a black British man of African Caribbean descent can say I own because most in most cinemas in London, most cinemas around the country I can go into, they know me, 
they know my company, I can go into, but I don't own any of those cinema. Right. And then I look and say, what do black people actually own in this country? You know, we go to the cinema, uh, BFI, the, the BFI, the British Film Institute did a report. And I don't think there is, there is, there is anyone that goes to the cinema more than us, basically. You know, who goes to cinema more than us. But we basically don't own any cinemas. We don't own, we, we don't distribute our own films as such. You know, we, we don't own anything. We don't, even a lot of the nightclubs that we, that we go to these days, you know, and over the last maybe decades or so, um, we don't actually own them. You know, back in the day, it was different because, you know, when people, when the Windrush generation came over, our parents and our grandparents came over, they were isolated. They were excluded. So they had to, they built their own things, basically. But all of that's just forgotten about and lost. And we've just sort of integrated into other people's things and not, we don't have anything of our own. So building Kush Cinema for me was very important and, you know, encouraged by what I was seeing during COVID with Netflix and Amazon and the streaming, the rise of streaming and digital, I, you know, I reached out to my colleague, look, I want to build something called my own. I want to build something that, that for the black community. And I want to be able to, you know, again, continue my work championing black filmmakers and giving the public access to more, more content, you know, and creating an outlet that we can help to distribute and also monetize content for filmmakers. And, he was appalled at what, was great, what he saw as on the news with George Floyd. And at that time, he agreed to help me. How does Kush Cinema actually work? Well, it's a streaming platform. It's a streaming platform. You know, first, I'm, I'm proud to say the first black-owned streaming platform in the UK, creating a one-stop shop for great black films and also placing a spotlight on black British filmmakers, giving black British filmmakers, because there is nowhere you can go and see you know, a, a list of films from black British filmmakers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always African-Americans or, or and even now, Holly, um, um, Nigeria is the big thing now um, where Netflix and everybody wants to be, you know, shining a light on Nigeria. But no one's really too, too fussed about black British culture or black British history and the history of filmmaking here. So that's one of the key things that I, I, I want to show as well here, you know, and have an archive of black British films on our platform. So... People can go onto the platform. People, we, we, we have rentals on it, low cost rentals. You can rent a film, um, to $1.99, you know, $3.99, whatever to rent a film for, um, so you, you buy the film and you have seven days to watch the film. Once you start the film, you have 48 hours to watch it. And then also we have through our Kush TV section, you can watch free content on there. So it's a hybrid. It basically, you can rent content or you can watch free content on there as well basically so similar to like like amazon so now we've had a great discussion about talent and obviously about kush cinema and the direction that it's going in now i want to turn to you marlon as an individual so we're going to look at the section that we call what are you like where we discuss the films and the books and the music that you like as an individual and as a person and I want to start off with what you say is your favourite book, which is Think and Grow Rich. I think that's, is it Napoleon Hill? I think that wrote that yeah, one. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. So, you've, uh, so you've got that, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. You've got The One Thing by Gary Keller and The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. Yes. Um, so you pick those three, any particular reason? Because th- th- those books helped to change my life. And again, you know, um, people be careful there because I think that may be one of your questions coming up <laughs> in terms of what really, um, in the film business, what really. Go ahead. We what, can discuss yeah, okay, it. Okay. Yeah. So in the film business, yeah. What really, you know, people are always ask me what, what was your sort of greatest success in the film business or what, you know, your greatest sort of achievement. And really, again, you know, one, one of the greatest things was the film industry helped me to find myself. And to truly know who I am mm. as a man as, uh, and as a, even as a spiritual being, because, you know, I, I went through some tough times and the usual institutional discrimination, whether purpose or unconsciously or not. Yeah. Just trying to make headway as a black man in the film industry, and especially in a field that no, there are no others. It was, you know, I was kind of on my own a lot. So basically the greatest thing that happened to me was that the film industry, it made me take up personal development. Right. Um, so, so about 18, you know, well, 19 years ago, I took up personal development, started listening to all, all you know, people like uh, Tony Robbins, um, Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer, the Brian Traces, 
the Les Browns, you know, the, uh, you know, one, one of my great teachers, Bob Proctor. Yeah, I, I listened to all of them. That stemmed from the, the film The Secret. And when I was going through my transitional period of, of sort of leaving the streets and the party scene, I actually was, I sort of got really into a lot of knowledge and wanted to sort of dig deep and, and find out about a lot of things, spiritual sort of stuff and, and just knowledge, deep knowledge. And um, I saw The Secret and that's where I first saw Bob Proctor. Bob Proctor is a renowned sort of teacher in the uh, people would call it new thought or personal development sort of realm. I was really intrigued. This is exactly how Kush came around because I've always been a person who's sort of been very strong minded and believed that I could do, once I put my mind to something, I could make it happen. And these are the things that they sort of teach in personal development. I learned later on that, oh, these are you know, intention. These are things about, you know, um, what they call law of attraction. They give it, you know, they've got names for everything nowadays. I've always, from a young kid, been into the cosmos into the universe okay and, and i used to always look out of my i've been looking out of my window at night and looking in the sky looking for aliens looking for spaceships <laughs> and things like that <laughs> so i've always believed in that and i've always to this day i love anything to do especially you know documentaries and things like that about the universe and planet planets and the cosmos I, I love all that sort of stuff so i've always been very confused i've always felt connected to to a higher to something higher than just this physical thing that we have here so personal development and i got went really deep into that because i was really frustrated in the film industry lots of issues like cinemas like you've been here for a year and as far as i'm concerned i'm doing fairly well and, and bringing people into their thing into their into their business and then they would say oh thank you very much see you later you know okay great and then we sort of move to another cinema mm. and it's like I, I i don't know it just felt to me that we weren't, um, after a while, is that we weren't welcome anymore. It was like, maybe we're taking over, sort of thing. Too many, too many black folks in here. Time for you not to go, sort of thing. And it was very frustrating. And I would be banging my head against the wall, you know, and, and just, and then I had issues, some issues within the industry as well, dealing with people. And then I was very defensive in, with a lot of things and, and didn't want anyone sort of telling me what to do. I had to go within myself. Personal development helped me to go within myself to truly find out who I am, what my limiting beliefs were, um, what my, my paradigms within me. Um, and this is understanding that we all kind of are conditioned in a certain way. Of course. You know, and we sometimes we don't realize it. And this, this is your subconscious mind and the things that control you on a daily basis. There's a lot of us that sort of walk around like robots and we don't realize it. We're doing the same thing, you know, every day. And we, we, we've, we have certain particular habits that control us and certain limitations that keep us back. Personal development helped me to really understand who I truly was and that my limitations were endless at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, these books really, really, Bob Potter, I've still got Bob Potter, who sadly he passed away last year. Right. You know, through Bob Potter, he was the one who, who introduced me to Think and Grow Rich and to know Napoleon Hill. I did lots of online coaching courses with him, read a lot of his books as well, Bob Potter's books and a lot of his teachings. And yeah, it was just, I went and, you know, read um, Napoleon Hill's book, watched all, the, all Napoleon Hill's videos, got to learn about, um, all the, you know, the people from those days, you know, like, like, um, Edison, the inventor of the, um, the light bulb and, uh, and, and many other things. Of and course. also, and also, um, yeah. And also, and I, and the steel magnet, Andrew Carnegie. Mm. And, you know, so, cause, uh, uh, yeah, I just got to learn about all these people and learn about the power of the mind and about, yeah, again, yeah, just, 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 just how we how we are conditioned so it really helped me a lot let's move on to your favorite pieces of music and you've got three classics here you've got a change is going to come by sam cook obviously a, a soul classic that gives me goosebumps every time i still to this day i don't know why that i get goosebumps every time i hear that it, it, it has that effect on you it's it's that song it is that song it, if you're going to have one song to represent you then that would be the song yeah, it's it's my person, my personality as well. In terms that I'm always trying to, I want to do something for my community, for uh, represent, and uh, just who I am. Just yeah, it just that just moves me. So you've got daydreaming by the wonderful Aretha Franklin. Rest in peace. That's my party days. Yes, yeah, my party days. Uh, <laughs> Two step. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sweet boy. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff there. And we've gone to have the brilliant Leroy Hudson. Oh, you're getting uh, a party, basically. Yeah, Hudson 2. Oh, yeah, that album. 
on your accent. And another yeah, yeah. soul classic. So we're going to move on to the interesting bit, the films. So obviously, being a film distributor and being a film lover, you've got loads and loads of films, but you've been kind enough to mention a few. Yeah, it's funny, funny quickly, just the funny thing is, like, if people always ask me, what's your favourite this or your favourite that? I'm such a, um, I'm such a, a broad taste of everything. Mm. So I, I never have one thing that, that I like. Like, there's always a, like you say, there's a, there's a broad thing. I, I could have added some reggae music in there as well. Of course, you know, yeah. Because I've got such a, um, what's the word? Eclectic, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of taste of it. I like, yeah, I, I'm not narrow. My mind is not, to, to, oh, I can't focus on one thing. So, yeah, uh, films, again, yeah, there, there's so many films that I, must, I love. I mean, I'm going to concentrate because you mentioned in this um, Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee, you mentioned The Matrix, the Marvel films. Yeah, yeah. Sci fi and kung fu. Yeah, absolutely. But I want to drill down the old school kung fu films oh. because how. I got to see a version of what you are doing or what you did back in the day. It was when we were at school and I was in school in Southeast London in Lucian. What happened was, was that they used to create a cinema club. It wasn't really a proper cinema club because as young brothers, we weren't very good at organization. There was a, a cinema club and somebody would get, and this comes back to VHS because I feel that VHS democratized film so much and got a lot of people so somebody managed to get these old school kung fu films um um, and you mentioned them in your list and they were fantastic because i remember a couple of names drunken master yeah yeah (laughs) what yeah and the one-armed boxer Jimmy Wang Yu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, the, what I'm trying to understand is, is that those films were great and they're still entertaining. Wu-Tang, RZA has made a whole career yeah, yeah, out of yeah. Um, yeah. Kung Fu films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the key thing is, what is the black fascination with Kung Fu films? With uh, Wherever you are in diaspora, whether it's Africa, whether it's Caribbean, whether it's America... We seem to love, especially as black people, we love kung yeah. fu films. Because uh, as, as I explain, it's funny. It's funny. Um, during COVID, I actually did a talk. We did there was a, we did a, a um, Zoom. Uh, um, there's a, a martial arts festival, and they did a, a talk about this, and they invited me on. Basically, oh. we had a great great chat about all of this. Basically, it's actually on our platform. We recorded it on our platform, and um, and funny enough, there was a the gu- guy from the Guardian newspaper was on there, and he he actually did did an article as well just before that. During, I think he did it. I think he put it on the Guardian site during COVID talking about that, the black connection to martial art films. And I, I just think it is because it's martial art films, or you know, the Chinese martial art films have always represented poor people fighting against the, you know, wicked people or the powers that be. Yeah. And it's, always, it's always about resistance. And I think that resonates with us as black people so much. But the key thing is, was, it's not just resistance, it's, resistance with style <laughs> fighting in style <laughs> i think the black people like that very much right right so you're not just like it's not just any old fighting it's fighting with style because you know when you know us already yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're we're predisposed we yeah we, we have a stylish element as black people especially yeah, yeah. as black men we we want to look good when we're fighting even when we're fighting you know what i mean style and pattern as we would say you know what i mean <laughs> you style, style and pattern so i think that very much resonated and um and obviously we we, 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 you know, we sort of were very af- athletic, still are in a sense, and we always, so a lot of us took up martial arts because yes. in those days as well, you know, with all the sort of resistance against us and and you know the racism, a lot of us we we had to go and learn to fight. We had to learn to defend ourselves. So you know, I did martial arts. I, I was doing martial arts from when I was about twelve years old. If not younger, because in my house I, I had a stepbrother. He was a black belt martial artist, and he had his own youth club in a local area. Oh. And I, I would go and help him set up the youth club and things like that. And we learned boxing, karate, 
street fight. We learned all kinds of things. We were all mates. And I, I used to love all that stuff. I was very good with nunchuckers and all that kind of stuff as well. I used to actually make nunchuckers. Oh, bloody um, oh. And, sell them, and sell them at school. Yeah. I was actually very good. I used to buy the, I used to buy the broom handles, go buy a broomstick handle, the long stick, and then cut them up, cut it up, buy electrical, different colored electrical tape and red or green or yellow. And then, you know, wrap it around the hand, the, 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 the wood, what I've cut off, and then drill out the top bit and put an, and attach a chain and I used to sell them at school and then we used to have a big hill at school and I would stand on the hill and do demonstrations and, and, and show people how to use the nunchuck and the people would buy them and yeah yeah I was yeah so I've always been a martial art nut love martial arts films and went on to yeah proudly um, during COVID again, sitting there, I kind of had done the black film thing for a long time, and I kind of was getting bored. I got uh, for a number of years now, I've been a bit bored with the black film, film black film thing, and so you know, I've, I've done it, worn a t-shirt, blah blah, I want to do something different. So during COVID, I said, well, as soon as cinemas open back again, I want to do something different, and I've always wanted to bring back late night kung fu films. You know, um, again, back in the day, I had to do a lot of um, PR and marketing for a lot of. Um, martial arts stuff a lot of the hong kong cinema films that that got all got sort of digitized and they got released on dvd so i, I was working when i first started in the film com- in the film business i was working with a pr company called the associates run by a man i very much attribute with help on my journey and i thank him very much richard larkham who sadly passed away oh. and he he basically, we had a PR company and he gave me a job there. And we used to do all the big Bruce Lee, all the Bruce Lee films, all the martial arts films coming out on DVD. I've still got, I've got boxes full here today. They're all all the martial arts films on DVD. And um, so I kind of, you know, had a, a affinity all my life with martial arts films. And then basically as well, you know, I worked on films like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, uh, did some a press screening for that. I also was one, did one of the first screenings for um, a really fantastic, a film called On Back, On Back with Tony Jar and Tony Jar first exploded onto the scene. A, a really violent martial arts film. And then I was really proud last year to bring martial arts films, bring late night cinema back to the UK cinemas. So last year, when straight after COVID, when as soon as cinema started opening back again, I didn't do black films. I, I found a, a, a home entertainment company that was starting to re-release all the martial arts films on Blu-ray. They've now they're taken them up to like 4K and 2K Blu-ray. Wow. And uh, yeah, I, I developed a relationship with this company and I started getting some real classic martial art films Warriors 2 and Prodigal Son and some classic martial art films we did screenings at my cinema where I'm based at the Genesis Cinema in East London Mile End there I created a night called Kung Fu Cinema and we had gaming in, you know gaming at the beginning young people could come and do play Street Fighter Tekken and all that kind of stuff on, on the computer on a big screen in the bar area and I had a hip, hip hop DJ playing old school hip hop beats and then we had you know Kung Fu films too, too late in the night and, uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> he was, and we was getting a lot of the old black guys coming down here, bringing their sons and reminiscing, boy. Nothing but reminiscing, you know. I even brought my son as well with me. I couldn't get him off his bloody phone, though. But, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm in there making noises, like, like you know, like back in the day, and he's looking at me funny, you know what I mean? What's wrong with you? He doesn't get it, mate. He doesn't get it. He nowadays. Yeah, if, if only he knew... <laughs> <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. This is Kush. This is what I've been doing. You know, black films and again martial art films, putting films on the big screen. You know, I'm a film distributor. I can, you know, if anyone wants any help out there with getting their film into cinemas, you know, you want an independent film distributor, I can help you or advise you on how to get your film out there. We can put films in, into cinemas across the UK for you. Um, yeah, have, have a chat with us. Look for Kush, K U S H, Kush film. What's the big plan going forward if you can talk about it? For- for the next 12 months for Kush? Well, the focus is basically on developing Kush Cinema. Um, this streaming platform taking my full attention right now. I'm trying to give this my all. Um, I'm not so much focused on going back into cinemas unless someone, you know, I'm distributing someone's film for them. Um, but the, the film club, um, again, the film club, I'm, I decided to step away from that years ago, but I just kept getting pulled back in again. 
because no, I didn't see anyone really taking up the mantle the way it should be. But I'm kind of trying to find some young people to come and take over that now yeah. and, and manage that and and bring a new legacy to the sort of film club screenings. Brilliant. Uh, a new energy, new vitality. But I'm focused on the the, the streaming platform. We, we, we want to build this in, into a major platform that is getting attention. You know, we're getting the support of the UK film distributors. We're creating, you know, opportunities for, for filmmakers. And, and down the road, one of the key things, as you mentioned before, we want to start supporting filmmakers in terms of being able to produce helping them to produce content that we partner on and you know we have ownership rights over this content that we can then put on the platform and distribute and monetize ourselves so then I'm, so yeah so then i'm not dependent on other distributors giving us films and then maybe even pulling their films as well when they when they want to excellent so, you know we want to be able to start producing our own films telling our own stories and being able to distribute that content ourselves. So Kush Cinema, you know, incorporating Kush TV um, is very, very important to me. And I see that as my, you know, as, as the future for myself. Right. Excellent. So another thing I'd like to ask just before we do close off, what would be your message to young people wanting to get into this industry? Um, well, I mean, uh, go for it go for it but you know do your due diligence do your research you know um I, i'm a man of detail and this is the reason why i'm still in this industry i don't do things you know half cocked as my dad always used to tell me you know i mean if you're gonna step step proper don't don't half step you know what i mean step proper do your thing proper you know um put your all into it believe you know the key 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 thing is belief you know the 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 thing that really got me through and got me to where i am is that um i never took no for an answer mm. there were many no's but i never took them for an answer i always believed in myself i always believed that i could achieve what i wanted to achieve and if it, you've got to believe that this is what you want to do and nothing's going to stop me and if you can't do it here you're prepared to go somewhere else and do it Yes. You know, and get through. So you're not going to give up. I've always told young people that, look, if you hit the brick wall, then you're going to try and go over the wall. If you can't go over the wall, then you can try to dig underneath the wall. If you can't dig underneath the wall, then you can take the long way around and go around the wall. It's as simple as that. You're just not going to take no for an answer. Excellent. So everybody's going to know that you've teased everybody with all these possibilities of seeing films from their home and being able to look at them and download them and view them. But the problem is people need to know where to find you on the internet. So where can people find you, Marlon Palmer? And also where can they find Kush Cinema and all the related companies on the internet? Yeah, so you can find us in Google quite easily. If you if you just Google um, Kush K U S for sugar, H for Harry, Kush Films, or also Kush Cinema, you can find us. Go to kushcinema.com or Kush TV, Kush TV double E dot com, double E for for excitement and and entertainment. <laughs> um, <laughs> And yeah, so so if you, yeah, kushcinema.com, kushtv.com, also on social media. If you go to Instagram or Twitter, you will find us at Kush Films, Kush Films, F I L M S, online. Also, Twitter, Kush underscore online. And then also, um, if you go to Facebook, Kush Films, K U S H Films. I am under Marlon Palmer, M A R L O N, Marlon palmer p-a-l-m-e-r marlon palmer and vendor number one you should find me on facebook and also on linkedin and also on linkedin you find me marlon palmer one if you type in you should find me kush films uh, we will be on tiktok soon um yeah <laughs> so yeah are you, are you gonna are you gonna leave that to the younger people are you gonna you're absolutely right i think with my son who set up uh, my, my kung fu cinema tiktok page i, I didn't have time for that yeah <laughs> my 15 year old he did it for me yeah so um, yeah. that's the way to go i think <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, we, we did have a fundraising campaign going on as well. We've kind of um, eased off of it, but we still are looking for donations. You can make a donation on the Kush. If you go to kushcinema.com, we have a page on there called the Friends of Kush. Friends of Kush, and you can make a donation. We're trying to raise money. You know, it's cost us a lot of money so far to build a platform. And to, now we need lots more money. We're trying to get ma major investment. We're trying to get support from the government. We're trying to, you know, the community supported us. We raised about 10,000 pounds. 
That's a good start. Yeah, yeah, since COVID, but we but we really need, you know, this year we're trying to raise £80,000 minimum um, next year, you know, to really excel, really get the, you know, the, the people in because we're trying to bring in a whole team of young people as well. So we're looking to offer jobs to young people to come and take, take you know, run this whole thing for, for you know, for us. I'm not looking, I'm trying to get out of the way. I'm trying to get out of my own way. It's something personal development has, has taught me as well. <laughs> Sometimes we think we know everything and it just becomes a time when, you know, you've got to realise that you're of a different generation and now if you really want to make something successful you've got to tap into that younger generation and who better to do that than other young people so I, I, I want to bring in a, a whole young team of people to 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 run Cook, um, the, the streaming platform CookCinema.com and you know for them to have the ideas and the energy and the vitality to, to, to develop this whole platform and I just deal with the finance bit the money bit exactly, <laughs> exactly. yeah you can be the gatekeeper <laughs> yeah <laughs> in a sense yeah you know yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah so we're looking for people to support us you know people can can make a donation to to us if there's any sort of private investors maybe want to find out a bit more and see this as an opportunity then we're open to discussions as well you know, you know they, they can contact me via email um yeah, info at kushfilms.com. Um, and yeah, if, if people could donate a tenner, 20 pounds, whatever, it all will help. We, we, you know, we want to do good stuff as again, supporting young people, giving them jobs. Um, we're looking for some interns now to come in and do some um, research work for us, um, you know, to go find films and research all the latest, all the film festivals and all that kind of stuff. So, and yeah, we're looking for people, you know, to come and, to come and work with us. So, Excellent. we need support to support other people. Brilliant. Thank you very much. So Marlon Palmer, founder of Kush Films, Kush TV and Kush Cinema. Thank you for joining us on The Cashflow Show. My pleasure. Thank you. You're most welcome. We've come to the end of The Cashflow Show for today, but I would like to say thank you to our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge, wisdom and insight. If you loved what you've heard on this week's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and leave a five-star review and feedback as it really does help. Whilst you're there, listen to some of our other episodes which you are bound to enjoy. We want to make this the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs wherever they are in the world and spreading the word really is the best way to grow our show and our community to achieve greater things. Be sure to join us next time for real people, real business, real talk.